Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, friends. Happy New Year. Happiest of the 2023 year to both of you. What up, 2023? What up? It's a new year, new us. Absolutely crazy. Feels like it's still 2022 to me. Um, what are y'all drinking this week? Uh, this, excuse me, this year. What Hilarious. are y'all drinking? Ooh, me first, me first, me first. Um, uh, yes, so Emily. I am a proud and devoted customer of Rawhide Coffee here in Cody. And they put Shout out specials out. all the time. And this week's special is called the Christmas Nog. And it's so good. It is vanilla chai, spiced chai with cinnamon. And then I added some peppermint bark, like crumpled up peppermint bark on top. Ooh. Hot. Y'all, it is like Christmas crack in a cup. And it's a so nog. good. A nog. You're yeah. Be off the walls with all that sugar here. I'm so excited <sighs> for this. I know. Me too. I'm good feeling Lord. it already. Also, way to let it's- the cat out of the bag that we are definitely recording this in December. <laughs> peppermint drink during the new year called the christmas nog but it's a seasonal drink it's like fresh in the um, new year you know what you can hype I love, all you apologies want apologies to our uk listeners i realized that that sounds a lot like christmas fuck if you like put that in a drink so excuse uh, me yes apologies yeah snog snog you already got me the explicit tag this early in the show josh how dare you no not Look, how we, dare the, we decided we weren't gonna be a long time ago i know but i still have to tag it for apple's purposes it's okay uh, steven well speaking of apple's purposes i'm gonna go next i am drinking a cocktail that i made didn't want to tell you what i was drinking gin. anyway no when no, this was a great transition because it was about <laughs> apples i had to jump on it um so it's gin ginger beer and then i just made a second batch of this spiced cider simple syrup that in my opinion is way better than the first one i made um so apologies Stephen. Oh. i gave you the worst batch i've made so far but i um, i liked the first patch it was good this is even better it's really good so like mixed all together it feels like i'm drinking like it's great. It's a great blend together. I can't even. It's so good. Lovely. And then I'm also drinking a coffee. So got a oh, are you gonna give, going on. Are you going to give Josh a hard time for drinking an apple flavored beverage in the new year or in December? Listen, Steven? was it named Christmas on a I New Year's episode? I am not in control of what they name their beverages. Riddle me this. Back. Reverend. Um, Reverend. I'm, I'm drinking a lemoncello. The yes, Croix. please. I'll have a Christmas snog. Yeah, I'm I'm drinking a Lemoncello LaCroix. Not that anyone cares or that it matters, but... First of all, we do care. Second of all, that is very much not a New Year beverage. Bah humbug is my vibe, apparently. <laughs> I 
I love it. <laughs> Just the limoncello? Yeah, that's all I have. Oh, fantastic. You know, so uh, I was talking to Stephen and Emily um, a couple moments ago. I'm going to pretend like they're not in the room right now because um, actually they're not in my room right now. Um, Where are we? I was talking to them about how I have too many Help. topics to choose from, but just based off of our intro, I know what we're going to talk about. <gasps> Goodness. Oh. Is it apples or um, Christmas or New Year's? Well, it is or... in the theme of apples, I will admit. <gasps> oh, no. A little bit. <gasps> oh, no. We, we've done some episodes that have like skimmed around this topic, I think, but I, I kind of want to address it a little bit more like a little head on. I'm going to ask a very general question. Give me that Foley work once again. What? Give me that Foley, that sound effect work just once again. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. I just needed a take to you. I needed a clean take before we... Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. We moved on. Um, I want to know if you two think if rebellion is always bad. Oh, that is not what I was expecting. I was expecting to debate how I think the fruit in the Garden of Eden was actually a peach and not an apple because peach is superior in all ways, especially flavor. Two apples. I'll allow it. Traditionally, it's been a, it, traditionally it was a Rambutan, right? Excuse me, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it? But then it like got turned into the apple. fuck is a Rambutan? Oh, you know, it's a dream fruit kind of thing. That sounds like a monkey's name. It's real. Look it up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been thinking about the rebellion thing, um, like in a in a couple different episodes that we've done. Like both, I think I thought of it first in the episode we did about sin being equal or not. Uh, but then I've also I I've had this like thought running in the back of my head that honestly I need to do more reading on in terms of Christian anarchism. Oh, and I I like I see this like. Whether or not someone calls himself a Christian anarchist, because that's like obviously like a political identification too, right? I think that there's this like thread in history of Christians rebelling against something, like the status quo, for instance. But then I also think that there's this weird contradiction in American Christianity where like rebellion is always stigmatized. Interesting. So I kinda I just want to explore that. I wanna I wanna hear what you guys think of that. Wow. Frame the question again. You said, is all rebellion bad, or how did you phrase it? Yeah. Uh, I phrased it as, is rebellion always bad? Is rebellion always bad? Okay. I think the reason I thought of this in the Sin episode, by the way, is I think we were talking about the the classical definition of sin, usually boiling down to sin is rebelling against God. Mm, Okay. Okay, okay. I have an answer. Word vomiting out. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to say yes... But it depends on who's defining it as bad. Is it bad for those who it's against or bad is it for those who are initiating it? Clever. Because I'm thinking in the instance of like Rosa Parks not giving up her seat, that was rebellion and it was bad for those who were in power, i.e. white people, because it was someone who was deemed less than taking authority for themselves and seeing their worth and saying i am allowed to sit here you can't tell me to sit anywhere else so that's bad for people who are being rebelled against but it was good for her and all people that she stood for yeah i like the point about like contextualization like like bonhoeffer rebelling against the nazi regime would have been seen as uh, I almost said valorious, but I don't think that's a word. It is now. 
Full heroic, of valor. That's what it sounds like. Full of valor. Yeah. Thank you. I get it. Yeah, but like, absolutely, the Nazis would have seen that as bad. bad. Yeah. For them. So yeah, I think that's a good point about perspective. Stephen, what do you think? Oh boy, I I won't purport to have an answer, but I'll at least say some words in response, if that's okay with you. <laughs> <laughs> By all means. <laughs> I, I'm just immediately kind of like caught back up in the headspace of kind of my early Christianity of like idealizing the moment that I was told would always be in my future if I professed Christ. And that would be one day a tyrannical government would ask me to renounce my belief in Jesus or they would kill me. And then I would have a brave moment to be a martyr and not bow to it, you know? And in that case, like that form of rebellion was certainly idealized, if not idolized as something that we should all strive for. Because I think, I think in the case of any rebellion, really, it's like, what are, like, are there principles or morals higher up than what are demanding something toward which you want to rebel? What a weird way of saying that. I guess like if you have a hierarchy of like morals or ethics or principles in your life and uh, one demands conflict with another, I, I think that would make that rebellion good Mm. as long as you think it is that's a very (laughs) that feels like extremely subjectivist or like but i maybe it's just more context but that's basically what emily's saying too yeah 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 i think that's an interesting point about authority i feel like that's what you're getting at like i guess in that sense it does make sense why like the church and people in the church would tend to have the opinion that well you shouldn't rebel against the church because the church is under God's authority, like that is ultimately the authority to follow versus like the state and political parties can be imperfect. So it's okay to rebel against them because they're humans kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like an appeal to authority thing that you're trying to highlight. Well, I, like, I guess I think of it too, it, just in terms of the ways certain aspects of my ethics being informed by Christianity over and against like the, uh, a popular like cultural mode of ethics. Like uh, I, I've gotten comments on Twitter before that my position on pacifism is just utterly baffling to people. <laughs> and then I explained to them like, well, in this case, like I value the actual call to love my neighbor as myself. And if I'm going to take the Bible as it's at its most literal, in some cases, I don't kill things. I don't kill people. I don't kill. I just don't kill. So if I'm going to defend my house and I have a risk of killing someone, I'm going to choose pacifism. I'm going to choose a way of de-escalating or or something like that. You know, even in that case, am I rebelling against some popular notion of bravery or duty or something like that, you know, by by laying that down? I like that you're already heading here because one of the like secondary questions I had in the back of my mind for both of you is what ways do you feel like personally rebellious? And I think that that's an interesting point for you. Like, I think that's really interesting to see like your adherence to Christian pacifism specifically as an Mm. act of rebellion against, would you see it as an act of rebellion against other Christians or against violence at large? Could be. Yeah. I think utterly it's like at its purest, it is a, 
commitment to nonviolence modeled by Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I take it personally when he disarms Peter in the story in the garden of Gethsemane. Like I believe at that moment, he also disarmed me and I know I have no right to wield a weapon against another image bearer, even if that is defending my home, which is very countercultural and slightly rebellious in a very second amendment obsessed red state in which I live. Yeah. But at its core, yeah, it, it is nonviolent, nonviolence and a commitment to that. Do you think what makes it rebellious is just the, the general status quo not being your opinion? Yeah, maybe. Just like, ugh, I hate when Christians talk about being countercultural too much, but it is kind of just that, right? <laughs> okay, I want to come back to that, but I, w- I want to hear what Emily would say if she thinks that she's rebellious sure, sure, sure. in any way. Oh, definitely. I The first thing that came to mind was the fact that I would officiate a non-heterosexual wedding if asked. Hey. Um, mm because even in the methodist church you would see that as rebellious right now i think just with the division that has occurred and Mm. with united methodism really discerning legally in regards to the book of discipline and um the consequences that pastors face especially because it is church by church so i know like in my church here in cody my church would be okay if i officiated the wedding but I know they would be a little hesitant if it was performed in our church building. They're huh. they're teetering a bit, which I understand. I'm not going to just like force feed them to believe what I believe. And I respect the space that they are holding and that they're trying to work through things. And so to force a whole congregation to be okay with the idea of I'm performing this wedding here and I don't care how you feel like that's one thing I don't do that but I would not turn away a couple who was non-heterosexual to officiate a wedding I will I will gladly perform a wedding and I think that is definitely rebellious in the church not even just in the Methodist church but in a lot of denominations people would be like whoa what the bible says this which that's a whole other thing is it normal or do you think it's rebellious uh, for you to perform a wedding for someone who is not Methodist? Is that a norm? That yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. I probably officiate more weddings that are non-Methodist than Methodist. Oh, sure. Interesting. And I, and I think it's because in the Methodist church, one, weddings are not seen as a sacrament. And two, I can't speak for other denominations, but I know in the Methodist church because we have an open theology in regards to open doors, open hearts, open minds, we welcome individuals in this sacred space called marriage. And the fact that we're so dedicated to couples before a wedding that we we do premarital counseling and we ensure that they are aware of like what this commitment is, not just to say, oh, yeah, I'll sign this paper and say the words and go on with my life. Um, but we see it truly as a commitment. So we take that seriously. And we find that more non-Methodist people want to go to a Methodist pastor. And I think that's partially why. It's because we don't criticize. We don't hound on. We're very open and welcoming of perspectives and to the idea of love being abound and extended to people. <laughs> Mm. I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind for being rebellious in a sort of way, I think that there's like an interesting stigma 
I think it's a stigma for pastor's kids uh, and like other related children to like kind of go off the deep end or to like, like the rebellious mm. pastor's kid is like such a like movie trope at this mm. point. It's like so funny, but like that, I mean, that is like built on a stereotype that like has grounds in like real people's lives. Right. Um, like people who have just like completely rebelled against the faith that they grew up in. So I think that there's like this interesting tension for myself in that, like, while I feel more and more distanced from the church, I'm like, in some ways it feels like a rebellion against that stigma of like, I'm not going to go like full, <laughs> like as much as I have opinions about the church, I I don't think I'm like too heavy handed on the like burn it all down. Like there should be no Christianity anywhere. Or, like I, I tend to think that I'm like pretty nuanced in a lot of my takes, even if I have some hot takes. And so I think in some ways that that kind of like me trying to balance my de-churching and raveling, I kind of see that as an act of rebellion personally. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think that like more specifically, I live with my partner, Elise, and we are not married yet, even though we plan on being married someday soon. But like the act of me doing that and my my belief that precedes it and now my action shows it that I do not mm-hmm. believe that that is inherently sinful. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is an act of rebellion in the sense of like, if I'm going to like also kind of like cling on to Christianity in some fashion, like whether it's just through this project or whether it's me acknowledging my belief structure that I was raised in, or even me on a good day being like, yeah, I want to be like Jesus somehow. Like I am inspired by that. And so me, I think that me, taking an action that very clearly shows that my belief has changed, I think is a subtle act of rebellion, even if it's more or less respectful. Can I add one? Sure. Oh, please do. I think the fact that I'm a young female clergy in itself is rebellious. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> do you think that the idea of Satan rebelling against God has given rebellion a bad rap (laughs) like it's just so easy for like someone to like point at someone who's like arguably rebelling in some way to be like no you're you're being like satan like don't rebel Mm. (laughs) i don't know i mean i've never gotten that but like maybe that's like a little implicit in some people's minds Mm. do you feel like either of you have ever gotten something like that like where you're told to not (laughs) act in a rebellious way Uh, (laughs) mm, yeah uh, 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 I, have to, I have to think about how I'm going to say this. So Ugh. we had an incident. Say as much or as little as you want. We had an incident uh, in our church where we had to close our doors due to COVID. And that was not a me decision. That was a higher up decision. Our bishop, the cabinet, even our church's insurance was saying you need to take these precautionary steps. And we mm. had an individual who was very much against this and was wanting to act in a way that was going to potentially legally cause us issues because they were going against our church's insurance policy and our safe gatherings policy, which is like our background checks and our safety, like HR precautions. And I remember meeting with this individual and this individual looked at me dead in the eye and said that Satan had a hold on me and that I was just following the status quo of political norms and basically a sheep of the herd. 
But when this person looked at me dead in my eye and said that Satan had a hold on me, first of all, it took everything within me to not laugh out loud because I've never encountered someone to actually say that to anyone, let alone say it to me. But it was also one of those things where it made me kind of chuckle because the fact that I was following rules, rules that were in place for other people's safety made me a sheep follower, a snowflake, all these other stereotypes, and that I was falling away from God because I was doing all these things rather than not following the rules, not wearing masks, not encouraging safety. That would have been God's way, according to this individual. And it was very sad to, one, be told Satan had a hold on me. That just, you should never say that to someone, first of all, in any circumstance. But it was also one of those things where the fact that I'm doing something that is so radically love-based, like caring for my neighbor, ensuring people's safety. And it was a very difficult decision to say, yes, we're going to close the doors. I Mm. hated it. I preached to a camera for almost four months. It was empty pews every Sunday for four months. And it was right the start of my appointment, my first year serving. It felt so Mm. isolating. But I was doing one, what I was told to do, but also what felt right. And that in itself, I think, was rebellious when the state that I lived in now is very much same as Stephen. We're red, red, red. And <laughs> we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We are the Wild West. And anything that you do that is countercultural to that is just so bizarre. And so the fact that we were taking these steps to ensure safety and it was really difficult but we were doing our best. That was rebellious to some people and not in a good way. It was bad in this person's eyes. And I think sometimes when we get so caught up in the isms that's happening, whether it's with COVID, with politics or whatever the case may be, anything that is against another person's ideas or perspective is going to be rebellious and it's not going to be pretty to them. But at the end of the day, how much of your opinion do I need to uphold if it means that other people's lives are at risk? I can't please everyone. And the fact that we followed rules for safety and we were doing what was necessary, but still doing our work as a church. We were still doing missions. We were still doing things as best as we can. We had to change as the world was changing. Sometimes rebellion is not pretty. But sometimes like you just have to go with what is happening. Yeah, that's a that's a very good example. The subjectivity of rebellion. Stephen, what about you? Do you think you've had any instances where like you've been called rebellious against God in a way that you don't think matched up? Me personally? Um Yeah. Man, the boring answer is honestly probably not. I mean, like I, I remember getting a lot of stern talkings to from youth leaders about uh, dating Dixie when I was in high school. And I was like mm. the, the peak of my rebelliousness was I was a freshman and she was a junior. And when we first met, she wasn't uh, coming to church or a Christian at that point. She was Mormon. 
Um, mm. So I got a lot of stern talkings too about uh, not being unequally yoked and not following God's plan in that way in my romantic life. But I think we're fine 12 years later and married and very <laughs> happily. So they can all <laughs> pack sand. <laughs> Which is, I get, I guess, a bit of rebelliousness anyway. No, I, you know, like, honestly, I don't don't have many, like, personal anecdotes, I don't think. Not in the same way. I do think what Emily's story did, though, was kind of illustrate the fact that a lot of rebelliousness is defined and, you know, you you can levy an accusation of somebody being rebellious. Usually that accusation comes from the top down, like the authority saying you are rebelling against me. Mm. Right. Yeah. I I really do think it just kind of like, it continues to highlight for me that, uh, there are a lot of like power dynamics at play with where rebellion will crop up. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm -hmm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. I have a question. Go for it. Sure. Was Jesus rebellious? Ooh. Great question. I'm so glad. I was asked. just going to ask if Je- if you feel like Jesus has inspired you to be rebellious in any way. So I feel like we're on the right like brainwave here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Jesus was rebellious. Like I think that that's what makes me want to read into Christian anarchism more. Is that like I know that other people have thought about this before me and like identified the places where like Jesus was rebelling against status quos that like were not just or were taking advantage of people or like are not the way that things quote unquote should be or could be. So yeah, I think he was. And I think that there's like a lot of nuance to like the ways in which he was rebellious in his current, like in his own time and place in the first century. Um, So if he was, who is he rebelling against? Like against which authority Mm. was his rebellion is my question. Because depending on how you look at it again, back to Emily's original point about context, like, I don't think that you can read the gospels and necessarily come away with like Jesus was rebelling against the father God in any moment, but he was rebelling against the Roman government. Yeah. The Pharisees that were running the temple, the Sadducees of the area, right? Like 
<laughs> well, I think what's really interesting though is that like the the narrative of the gospels shows that Jesus was even rebelling against people's conception of what the Messiah would be rebelling for and how. Mm, so like mm-hmm. even though it is like you could make a case that Jesus is rebelling against Roman occupation or like the oppressive government systems that like destroy people's lives. He wasn't rebelling in a way that like many people expected the Messiah would. Like he wasn't like what the zealots thought he was going to like rise to political power and stuff. And so like, I think that what really sticks out to me is like the subversive ways that Jesus seems to rebel. Here's a great example of that. You know, the, we have the Sadducees who are asking Jesus, you know, do you pay your taxes or do you not? Like, what do you do? Hoping to catch him in a trap. Cause if he were to say, no, don't pay your taxes, then a group of people would be really upset. But if he was to say, yes, pay your taxes, then people who were oppressed and could not pay their taxes and were being horribly treated and manipulated when it came to money in that system and in that time of day, they would be upset. So Jesus's response was perfect. It was give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And the fact that his answer did not negate or give positive light to either binary spectrum answers i think was perfect because jesus was basically saying yeah fine like pay whatever but at the end of the day that money don't do shit like (laughs) at the end of the day there's only so much that caesar really has power over and the people are aware and the people know and they're smart and we're gonna find ways of taking care of people so you can try to manipulate all you want you can try to extort all you want but we're gonna find a way to uphold people's safety and sanity and their dignity with how ridiculous the world can be we're not going to cave into that and so i think the way that jesus would respond to questions in of itself was rebellious because he wouldn't give light to binary answers he wouldn't play their game really either he was very direct in what he was saying and in his message and that in itself was rebellious i think that you could make an argument too that jesus is rebellious in uh his rhetoric and his interpretations of theology and uh philosophy like i'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head oh like there's the example of like him and his disciples picking the grain out of the fields and the pharisees he he, like goes into this discourse about like the spirit of the law and how like the the pharisees see him as rebelling against the letter of the law and he's making an appeal to the spirit of the law so he's like Mm-hmm. arguably rebelling through like different interpretation, which I think is interesting, especially given like today's circumstances with like differing Christian opinions. Like I think that it is, I think it's inspiring that like we see disagreement in the text because like we, there is so much disagreement today. And like, I think that allowing people the ability and the freedom to disagree with each other, even if like you think that somebody is wrong, like in like a professorial kind of way, like asking people, well, what do you think about that? <laughs> like, a, like actually letting people think for themselves. I think that that is an act of rebellion I- I- from many different perspectives. Like even if you're going to look at it just from the perspective of the historical church, telling people what to believe rather than letting people explore and interpret for themselves, like more in a Protestant tradition, like the Protestant Reformation was absolutely seen as rebellion. That's why people got killed, right? Like, I think that I think that's why like the topic of rebellion is really interesting to me because like there's such different examples of Christians rebelling and also being against rebellion. Are we rebellious here in this space? Like, is this project an act of rebellion? 
some people would say yes. <laughs> against oh, okay, but what what type of person? Against whom or what? I could see some people saying that this is an act of rebellion in terms of like you, like I've had friends tell me like even in like talking about this project that like no, I don't I don't think that theology should be a dialogue. Which like I'm very shocked when people like have that explicit opinion like I'm I'm totally fine like if people disagree with me like if they think that I have absolute garbage theology like totally like think that and like disagree with me like I'm I'm not opposed to you thinking that and like me being wrong in some ways because I don't think I have everything right but like just to like dismiss the premise entirely of like theology cannot be a dialogue and like there's nothing to talk about because it's all set in stone like I I don't know that many people like like regardless of like your theological camp like I don't really understand why you would think that. So I guess like this project would be an act of rebellion towards people who think that there's nothing to talk about, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that case what we're rebelling against is likely a worldview that includes something like uh a scripture without error and that it can give us exactly what we need on a plain text reading without any real work of interpretation or dialogue, right? Like what we're rebelling against is saying like, it's not that simple actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that the other way I think about it. Cause I, uh, uh, I just wrapped the, the project that was the Highline network at least gave it a sunset for now may come back in the future, but for right now it's not a, a project that I can devote energy but I've I've always kind of like approached podcasting in the uh, in the sense of like it has become and is I think unfortunately just going to continue to become a space that looks more like network TV or more like syndicated streams of media in that way. And but what I like about it is that an RSS feed is effectively free and. Um, there is something about like normal people podcasting that still gives me the juice, right? Of like podcasting has become kind of a, a juggernaut of media and is just like continuing to grow. Like there's never been a year where download numbers across the entire internet hasn't grown since podcasts were invented. So I like that we're here. We're not famous by any means. Uh, and in that way, I guess I feel like we're being a little rebellious as well, as far as like the whole culture of podcasting around us being what it is. We're countercultural, man. No. Do you, okay. You, I, cr- I want to go back to that. You cringed at the countercultural thing, but I feel like the idea of counterculture and rebellion yeah. are like very similar. What do you think is like the cringe part of that? I don't know. I just, it feels like it's probably honestly just it feels extra activating right now because I've been listening to the latest season of um, the prophetic imagination station. That's doing a deep dive on the DC talk record, Jesus freak. Oh yeah. And uh, that's bringing up a lot of extremely com- complicated emotions for me around that music, around what that music did for me as an influence at that age. Like it was all about being countercultural, right? Like I'm a Jesus freak, man. Like <laughs> I'm straight edge. I don't do parties. I'm here to talk about Jesus and stuff like Emily, you knew me early on in high school, kind of that vibe. Um, oh, for sure. I can confirm. It is and true. I guess that's why I feel cringy, at least about that phrase. Even if I probably act the same way now, 
but about the ways I believe now. <laughs> mm. I don't know. It just, it, it brings up feelings of, I guess, shame of like, Ooh, I used to be way too like heavy handed with or obsessed with trying to be countercultural for its own sake. Do you think it's a matter of authenticity mm. too? Because like, I think that I used to also feel like, especially in high school, like I was the kid who wore all of the Christian knockoff Caruso t-shirts, you know, like, oh, yeah. and I felt like I was being a witness, you know, like, and I was not just by wearing like bad off brand stuff, but like, <laughs> Even if I wasn't like in people's face about it, I think I also felt good about that too. That like, no, I'm going to be like the good kid, but I'm like also not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to pressure people to like be me or whatever. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Right. But like, I don't think that that feels authentic in the way that I think that there is a real transformation that happens when an alcoholic decides to rebel against their alcoholic nature and says, I'm not going to do that anymore. And it's like very similar to the, like an actual born again experience where there's like a clear before and after someone's rebelling against what they were previously doing. And it's like very, very clear that something changed their life, hmm. you know? So like, I wonder if it's like a matter of authenticity. Cause I feel like a lot of the, maybe this was my experience, but I feel like growing up, I would hear a lot of people's testimonies, like the classic testimony format of like, you know, I used to be this way and then Jesus came into my life and now I'm this way. And it was like so inspiring. And then like, for those of us, who like grew up in the church who like didn't have those drug stories, you know, like mm-hmm. we, we didn't have anything like that. So like it didn't feel like, I don't think it was an actual like act of rebellion for us to be like, yeah, I'm going to be straight edge now. Yeah. I've always been, but I'm still going to be. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's an interesting point. I'm curious to know though, like high school, Josh and Steven high school and me in high school, do you feel like those yous, like, back then, were not authentic? No. Uh, sorry. No. I think I was being 100% authentic. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Like, at the time, I really did not feel like I was putting on an affectation in order to, like, just be friends with my youth group friends. Even though that's mm-hmm. the purpose, like, mm-hmm. that is one of the side effects is, like, it did help solidify a friend group because that was effectively kind of, like our click or whatever. It was like, mm-hmm. you knew those kids from youth group and, um, yeah, but no, I didn't, I didn't ever think that I was just like trying to put on airs. Okay. It was authentic. I feel the same way. And I think just because we have evolved from those that we used to be to who we are now, I don't see our past selves, at least for Stephen and I, because we are on the same boat as being inauthentic. I think we Mm -hmm. have just had a change of heart and understanding that we are still authentic, but I think authenticity when it comes to theology and perspectives should shape and change. Yeah. You could say we rebelled against our former selves. Yeah. Hey, Maybe what I should have clarified a little bit more was that I think I was I was trying to refer more to the the act of rebellion being authentic or not. Like I think that uh, like like okay. we and ourselves like I was just like reflecting on your question. Like I do think I was authentic to myself back then. Like it would not have been authentic for me to like have gone to a house party. <laughs> like that was not me back then, you know? Like it was more easy for me to just like 
continue to be the good kid. Like that was the easy route because mm-hmm. that was me already. I think what I was trying to like dig under the skin of just now was like, I wonder if there's like a, maybe a little bit of a gradient for like the strength or like the volume of rebellion. Like, cause like on some level, if, okay, maybe just like continuing with this analogy, if someone is like straight edge their entire life, right? They were goody two shoes growing up. They've never tried drugs, anything. I think that you could still argue that as an adult, if they continue that lifestyle, that is still an act of rebellion in the sense that like they are going to continue that and not not go down a different path in the same way that I think it's still an act of rebellion. If somebody like grew up in drug culture and addiction and then later made a rebellion in themselves to not continue down that. Sure. But I, I feel like I just feel like there's something like qualitatively different about those two scenarios where like, I'm not quite sure how to word it, but like it feels like more of a, reverse kind of rebellion when somebody clearly goes from a to b versus like just continues a i guess oh okay yeah you see what i'm saying yeah now i do yes but i'm not really sure what the equivalent is for like theology i guess like i i got okay maybe here's an example um like i think that it is an act of rebellion to change your beliefs when you were raised in a system that told you that there was no room for doubt or questioning or shifting etc. And I'm not sure if it's an act of rebellion to not change your beliefs. Maybe, I don't know. I suppose it could be. Like if you're st- if like the beliefs that you were raised in are still rebelling against a status quo at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you've always had them. Which is just coming back to like against what are you rebelling? That's my thing this whole episode. Like, I don't think you can define rebellion without knowing what it's pushing against. Yeah. So you could probably frame almost anything if you look at it the right way. So it sounds like the answer for everything is yes. (laughs) It does make you think, though, for sure. Especially because usually there's, there's an air of conviction about it where it's like, I think in a lot of the examples where we're throwing out there, like, evolving faith or even if you want to think of it in terms of like one time 200 years ago the people of the european people who were living in north america rebelled against their british overlords and now we are this country yeah yeah so that's kind of in our blood right like just as americans especially like euro descended americans um at least speaking for myself there is something about a conviction that is like that I think it's really easy to frame almost any rebellion in a good light of like, they are the heroes or they are the patriots or mm. you, you know what I mean? Of like the, the rebels are always in the right. I think that is kind of a story trope to be honest. Like it's a it, star Wars comes to mind almost immediately. It's like the underdog rebels are usually the ones we want to side with. And I think that's, that's very much kind of like a particular tea we've all been steeped in, you know, there's a good Boston tea party reference. No, I think that that is a really Thank good you. point about like the foundations of America. I, in my opinion, that has directly contributed to uh Protestant splitting in America. Like, I think it's very unique the way that I don't know how you would academically trace that. I'm sure somebody has like directly how that philosophy is like trickled down, but like, 
it's just so clear to me that like there's a uniquely American Christian situation yeah. where people feel the freedom to rebel against their current denomination, whether that means yeah. remaining Christian or exiting Christianity. Well, yeah, because there's form. there's an instigating group that will kick off a conflict, and whether that be a group of Protestants that are now kicking off from Catholicism, or like you know, I've often wondered what it is like to grow up in school, like hearing about the, uh, the American war for independence, but you are in Britain and you're learning about it as like the loser of that (laughs) fight, like AJ and Jeff hop in the discord and let me know. Um, but, but honestly, like I could probably just ask Emily at this point, because there was a group of people who instigated a conflict and they took their ball and went home. And now they're called the global United Methodists and you're the United or you know what I mean? Is like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I don't know what it feels like to be on. I don't want to say the losing side, but on the side of like, like you are what remains after a group of rebels did what they did. Yeah. That must be very complicated. Yeah. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, if you were to ask members of the global Methodist church, they would probably say that, yeah, we, the United Methodist Church, are rebelling against our book of discipline, against scripture. Some people would even go so far as to create rumors about the entire situation and what the United Methodist Church believes in. And if you were to ask United Methodists, we would say, no, we really aren't rebelling. Like, we <laughs> we are following true to what we believe and we're not mm-hmm as crazy as people would say we are. And so there are different sides to the story. And it is sad to see groups. I mean, multiple, multiple denominations are watching what is unfolding between the Global Methodist Church and the United Methodist Church because we're seeing countless number of churches who are stepping away from being United Methodist and joining either the Global Methodist Church or just starting their own thing as individual church bodies. And I think what's interesting. Yeah. And I just think what's interesting about the whole thing is whatever side you fall on, you're going to have a perspective about who the rebel is and what the rebel is about. Mm -hmm. This is way too big of a question for us to dive into, but do you think that Calvinists have a very different view of rebellion than free will people? Oh yeah. It's, Oh. You mean in in that it is inevitable and that you were kind of set up to, for it anyway? Yeah, like yeah. if God wanted Adam and Eve to take the apple, then they didn't really... Oh, man. Well, yeah, I have a lot of opinions about Calvinism. Um, I think where I would like to end wild. is that I think I've been thinking more about like how in which ways our project is rebellious. I think that it is also rebellious for us to put a positive strengths-based approach to uncertain theological discussions and faith shift. Mm. I think that like mm. in the last five or 10 years, especially in online spaces, because like it's much easier for people going through faith crisis to exist in online spaces than physical ones together. I think that there's been a lot of not only stigmatization from people of faith looking outward, but I also think that there's a lot of like, Oh, what's the right word? Uh, catastrophizing uh, in people personally when they like realize that something is uncertain. And I think that we are being rebellious by 
embracing that uncertainty and like trying to help normalize like the positive aspects mm. of that, that like it doesn't have to be, it may feel like it's unraveling, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. <laughs> I like that. And I think that's rebellious. I, yeah. Amen. Thank you. If, uh, I know I, I threw the, the challenge down for our, our British patrons, but I also want to just open up the, uh, the comment box as it were, if you have thoughts on this episode and you're listening, whether we got something extremely wrong, which I am prone to do, I'll recognize. So um, you can send us a voicemail to our email at the at gmail.com or call our voicemail number 601-55-RAVEL or 601-557-2835. Give us a comment, an audio review as it were, or just like start a brand new episode for us. Drop us a question that you would like us to discuss. That would be wonderful. Emily, do you have a note uh, for inspiring rebellion that you'd like to end on? Mm, incite rebellion right here. <laughs> Foment insurrection right here. <laughs> so On this right before the anniversary of oh January 6th. <laughs> oh. Which is also epiphany. <laughs> yes. Yes. Whoa. Okay. Well, on that note. Hilarious. I have to say... Today, being a Sunday that we're recording, I preached about making a declaration. I preached about making a stance and being firm in what you believe. And if that means you got to flip a few tables, you got to yell a little louder for people in the back to hear, that's okay. We are meant to shift and change and rebellion can be a beautiful form of transformation. So don't be afraid. Join the rebellion. Two arms. Two arms. Two arms.